0: All right, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, I want to preach to you a message tonight about how to get answers for the church, how to get answers for the church. Now, you come to church and you can get some answers, can't you? Amen, that's that's what the ministry of the church really is about. It's about answering questions. Uh, Paul told Timothy, he said, avoid foolish questions, and there's some questions that people ask that really don't have any answers, and those are the kind of questions that you need to avoid, Uh, but... What the gospel ministry is really about is uh, providing answers. It's, it's about putting answers where there's blanks in people's minds. It's about giving people uh, things that they can take to the bank, if you will. Uh, open up your Bible and you can see it in plain English. And because of that, you're able to walk by faith. I think folks have a funny idea that walking by faith is, you know, living by make-believe. But that's not what walking by faith is. Faith is rooted in facts. It's it's rooted in facts. This is a strange society in the sense that people don't believe that truth is absolute. I'm, t- I'm not talking about everybody, but as a general consensus, at least they make it seem that way. Uh, it, seems, it seems like the general consensus is that people believe that truth is relative, which truth is not relative. Uh, in other words, what I mean by that is people make it out to be that truth is whatever you want it to be. It's like the guy who went to uh see a lawyer and he you know he went or he actually went to go see a mathematician and he said what's two plus two and the guy told him well that's easy that's four and he went to an engineer and he said what's two plus two and the guy said that's easy it's four and he went to the lawyer and he said what's two plus two and the guy got up from behind his desk and shut the door and put the shades down and he said what do you want it to be and that's a, that, that was a joke, by the way. I just, some of y'all missed it because it was just a bad joke. But, or maybe it's just because I told it and you're on cue not to laugh at my jokes. And that's okay. Uh, but, anyways, uh, that's about how folks treat the truth this day and time. But that's not the way that the truth is. The truth is really something that is, it just is. And that's where you can, that's where you're able to walk by faith. That's where you're able to walk by faith. So all of that to say, when you come to church, you get answers. But sometimes there are situations that come up for the church itself, and it has questions. And so the question that I pose to you tonight is how do we get those answers for that particular issue, whatever it may be. Uh, Life is full of questions, is it not? And it's, it's, a great, it's a great burden taken off of your shoulders when you're able to find answers to those questions and you're able to make decisions based on those answers. Uh, you can't, I have to shut this door because I'm a little bit OCD. I don't know why. Maybe I got that from my mother. She's probably listening, so she'll call me tomorrow and chew me out for saying that. But I'm just kidding. She won't do that. But anyways. Life is full of questions. It's full of questions, and there's answers to be had. And Then on, based on those answers, you make decisions. It's a very uncomfortable position to be in to have questions and not have any answers. It's a very uncomfortable position to be in. Uh, if you have a, have a question in your own mind and, and not sure what, what to do about that thing, you're not sure what way to go, uh, that makes for a very tense state of being, does it not? Okay, well, let's try to amplify that a little bit, and let's say now, not only do you have a question about your own personal life, you've got a question about a business that you're trying to run. And we've got some fellas in here that have their own businesses or haven't had in their own past or in their own, they've had businesses in the past or maybe they managers of some kind. Well, now you've got to make decisions for somebody else. Uh, that adds to the pressure, does it not? I mean, if you... If you mess up your own finances, that's going to have a direct impact on you. But if you mess up the boss man's finances or if you mess up your business finances, that's harder to recover from, is it not? Okay, well, if you have questions about your personal life, let's jump over to your spiritual life. You know, you've had questions before in your life and sat around and said, man, I'm not sure about what to do. I'm not sure which way to go. And doesn't that really create, it creates suspense. It creates a state of mind to where, man, I'd really like to know what's really going on. Well, amplify that doubly, triply, 100-fold by being in the position of being a pastor. Think about that. If you make a bad decision spiritually, that's going to affect you, is it not? You said, Brother Nathan, it's going to affect a bunch of people. You're right about that. It'll affect your family. It's going to affect the people that are living around you. But because those decisions, whatever decisions you make, they have consequences. Okay? But those consequences are indirectly related to the, all those people. Well, now that you've taken a church, now that you're the pastor of a church, I'm, I'm putting every single one of you, even you ladies, in the position of the pastorate of a church. Now that you're the pastor of a church... The decisions that you make are not indirectly touching people's lives. They're directly touching the people's lives. So if you make a good call, praise the Lord. If you make a bad call, that has the tendency that could mess somebody up. It could mess the church up. It's There's some pressure there. I, I hope you can see where I'm coming from. So there's decisions, there's, there's decisions that have to be made. And so when you're talking about making decisions as far as the church, you say, Brother Nathan, you haven't even read the text. I know, just give me a second. I'm setting you up, all right? There's decisions that have to be made in the church, and the question is, how do you get answers for those things? And listen, I'm not talking about things that are doctrinal matters. Those things have already been laid out, have they not? There's your answers. But there's some things that the Bible doesn't cover. There's some things that the Bible doesn't provide a whole lot of direction for. Uh, How do you know what to do? How do you know which way to go? Uh, Things like, uh, where does the money go that comes in the offering plate? You want to split a Baptist church, let some folks disagree about where the money should go. In this church, we've never really had a whole, whole lot of that kind of problem. I'm not going to say we've never had that problem. And I'm talking about in the history of time that I've been here, not just as the pastor, I'm talking about as far as just the whole time I've been here. I've been here uh, a total of somewhere around 20 years. My dad pastored here for about 10 years, many years ago. Brother Mike pastored here for about 10 years, and I think I've been the pastor here coming up on four years. So I'm not going to say this church has never had trouble about squabbling where the money's going to go, but it has been, I think, on the lesser side of things because there's just not a whole lot of money to go around. There's not a whole lot of money to argue about. I've made this statement before, and it's funny, but it's true. Uh, People talk about, you know, do you have, you know, this in your church budget and this in your church? We don't have a church budget. We just don't. You say, well, that kind of bothers me. Sorry. I mean, when the money goes out as fast as it comes in, what do you need a budget for? (laughs) Make sure the bills are paid. That's our budget. Make, make sure things are taken care of. So now we're going to have an argument about that. We ain't going to have no argument about that. You can go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, you say, why do you talk that way? Because it's fun. That, it's not very spiritual, but it's fun. But anyways, what do we do in regards to the buildings on the church ground? I mean, building a building, building a fellowship hall, taking care of things. What, when do we have revivals? And who comes and preaches those revivals? See, these are not decisions that the Bible says, thou shalt. But somebody's got to make those decisions. Those decisions come. Who teaches Sunday school? Oh, my soul, man. You want to have a church get upset? Take somebody's Sunday school from them. Hey, listen, I, I thank the Lord for every Sunday school teacher that we have I'm looking around to find our Sunday school teachers because I want to make eye contact with you. And I want to let you know I, I have no complaints out of any. I think we've only got three. Ain't that right? I have no complaints out of our Sunday school. But I think a pastor should reserve the right to be able to move folks around. And I'm not, I'm not intending on moving folks at all. I, I have no intention of doing that. I'm just saying. You know, I know some churches, man, if a preacher came in tomorrow and he tried to move somebody Sunday school class, they would have a fit. That's really foolish. That, that's really foolish. And so those are all decisions that have to be made. Well, the reason that we come to Acts chapter 15 is because in Acts 15, there's a question that comes up and it's a doctrinal question. Which is not what we're talking about tonight, but we're going to get application from Acts 15 anyways. Because what comes up in Acts 15 is a doctrinal question. How are men saved? How, how are men put into the church? How are men put into the body of Christ? Does a man trust Christ as his personal Savior? And then does he have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? That's, that's the question. Peter, James, and John, they're going around and they're preaching. And Paul and Barnabas are going around and preaching, as we'll see here in Acts 15. And then all of a sudden, some guys from Jerusalem come up and say, you couldn't be saved unless you're circumcised and you're keeping the law of Moses. And it creates questions in people's minds. Well, those are questions that have to be answered now. And listen, let, let, me, let me say this. This is not, I told, told you all that I was promoting you to the position of a pastor. I know that everybody in here is not going to be a pastor. I understand those things. But let me say this. When there's questions that need to be answered, those things are not to be ignored. Those things are not to be ignored. I have been told by preachers, pastors, Uh, one was a pastor and another one was not a pastor, but he was a preacher and held a position somewhere. I won't tell you where that is. But they both told me, they said, you know what I found in my years of doing blah, blah, blah? They said, and please don't say amen to this because this is stupid advice. I didn't take it. I rejected it. But they said, what I found is that if you'll just, you know, when things come up in the church, when trouble comes up in the church, if you'll just let that stuff go, uh, those things will work themselves out. That is not true. They will never work themselves out. What you'll have is a zoo. Because that's the, that's the nature of man. You say that's a very bleak outlook on man. Yes, it is, but it's realistic. Every man at his best state is altogether what? It's vanity. Man does not improve as time goes on. That's, that is one way you know evolution is a farce. Man does not get better. Listen, if man evolved into the being that he is from a single-celled amoeba or anything else, if he evolved from a monkey into what he is now, how come our morals are not better than when they were 200 years ago just in this country alone? Why does evolution in your mind only apply to everything except the morals of man? Man does not get better. Oh, but science, oh, but this, oh, but, oh, but nothing. And so things often have to have their hands laid on. Uh, Somebody often has to have, has to lay their hands on a thing and say, okay, this has to be worked out. Well, I just think God should do those things. I think that somebody should get involved. God uses people. Yes, sir. God, God uses people. And you say, well, this sounds like it's warming up to be a message on pastoral authority. Well, there will be an element of of that in this message, but that is not what this is about. What What I hope to do tonight is really preach a sermon, give you Bible study, however it comes out. I want to give you something to try and get you involved in the administration of the church without voting. And I think, I hope you'll see that as, as we go. You say, Brother Nathan, are we ever going to vote on anything? Maybe. I'm not saying that a church should never vote on anything. Uh, but I just soon go around and talk to people one-on-one. I, I'd rather do it that way. Uh, you say, well, I like voting. Well, okay. When you pastor a church, do it how you want. And, and, and I mean that. I mean that with all my heart. If the next pastor comes in after me, you know, when I, well, I don't want to say what will happen. Is, I was going to say when I get in a car wreck, but Lord have mercy. I speak as a fool. <sighs> anyways, oh, that, I just distracted myself. But if the next pastor comes in and he wants to have a vote left and right, I mean, that's his prerogative. But anyways, I want to show you from Acts 15 how a church gets answers. How how do we get answers? So let's pray with that introduction. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, thank you, God, for your mercy. I'm a little bit nervous, God, and at the same time, Lord, a little bit scatterbrained, and I pray that you'd forgive me, Lord. Uh, God, I maybe should have looked over these things right before I stood up here, Lord. But, God, you know my heart. I have studied, Lord. I have tried to prepare. I've not been slothful, Lord. And, God, I pray, Lord, even, even in spite of all that, Lord, I deserve, God, to be a failure. But, Lord, I pray at the same time, God, that you'd be very merciful. And I pray that your word would be honored. God, I pray that your name would be glorified. And, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help me, God, to give your people something, Lord, that will serve to their establishment, Lord, I pray that you'd help them to learn and understand from the book. Lord, I I believe, God, I I believe that your word has all the answers. Lord, I've not always been faithful and looking to your book for the answers, but I believe that it has the answers, God. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, to take your word, see the principles and see the program that you've laid out, apply it to where we're at, and just trust you. Lord, trust you to work things out, God, the way that you said you would. And Lord, help us to see these things very clearly tonight, Lord, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, look here in Acts 15, verse 1. The Bible said, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no, no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So there's a question that comes up, and you notice what it causes. It causes, the Bible says in verse 2, a dissension and disputation. There's arguing now going on. Who's right, who's wrong? Somebody says... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's what Paul preached to the Philippian jailer. How many of you believe that? Let me see your hand. Amen. All right. Yeah. An amen's better than a hand wave. But anyways, uh, here's these folks that believe that. Now here's some other folks coming up from Judea that are Pharisees. They have. They're very steeped in their religion of Judaism, and they say, "Well, that's all well and good, but you also have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses." Big question in people's minds. Which one's right? Yeah. Well, Paul and Barnabas. Paul, Paul and and Barnabas, I want you to understand who we're talking about. Paul and Barnabas don't just sit around and say, well, we know what we feel, and we know what we see, and we know what we've experienced. This is the way that it is. Let me ask you a question. Who's right in the disputation? Here's a question that's come up. You, you, you're saved by salvation, you're, you're saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. No works involved, right? That's what Paul and Barnabas are preaching. These other guys are saying that, and you've got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. That's the two options. Who's right? Paul and Barnabas is right. But Paul and Barnabas don't stand on their own feet about the thing. It's not so just because Paul and Barnabas want it to be so. It's so because it's the truth or it's not. In their case, it turned out to be true. But that's not a decision that they made by themselves. They went back to the church. Hey, let's go settle this down at the church. Listen, listen. You're going to find a lot of guys on YouTube and you're going to find a lot of guys who have gotten mad at some church that they sat in And now they're sitting at home. You knock on their doors on church visitation, and I hope you visit folks. I hope you talk to folks. I hope you invite people to church and try to talk to them about the Lord. But when you knock on their doors, you say, well, you know, you start talking to them them about the Lord, and they will file right in line with you and act like they're the most spiritual thing since sliced bread, and they can talk the talk. But when you, you ask the golden question, where do you go to church? I don't go to church. Well, why not? Well, I went down to this place and this happened and I just haven't seen the need to go back to church. Or they'll give you some kind of answer like that. But on the other hand, they act like they've got all this light from God and God is speaking to them. Yeah. Amen. I don't believe it. It's not true. I said it's not true. You say, well, Brother Nathan, doesn't God speak to individuals? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But God speaks to individuals, not apart from the church. Let let me explain to you what I mean. That does not mean that every time that God speaks to Brother Wyatt or God speaks to Brother Michael or God speaks to Sister Emma, did you know that God can talk to ladies? God can speak to ladies. That does not mean, when I say that God's not going to speak to somebody apart from the church, that does not mean every time God deals with somebody's heart about something that it's going to be a preacher standing up behind the pulpit dealing with the particular issue. Whatever the issue may be, that's not what that means. What that means is that God has ordained the church to be the pillar and ground of the truth. If you separate yourself from that organism... You are cutting yourself off from the avenue of having God deal with you on a prolonged basis. Cut yourself off from the church, and every time after that, when God deals with you, he's going to deal with you about one thing. You need to get back in church. 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 And listen, until you get back in church, you say, Brother Nathan, we're all in church. It's just preventative maintenance. That's all it is. But until you get back in church, all that you 're doing is you 're spinning your wheels and you 're rehashing what you 've already learned. I know guys that have gone down to dr ruckman 's school in pensacola in Pensacola Bible Institute. And they went down there. They sat there for three years, and they learned all this Bible knowledge, much of it right, some of it maybe incorrect. I wouldn't doubt that. No man is infallible. No man is right about everything. He should strive to be, though. He should strive to be right about everything, especially if he's a preacher. But these fellows sit down in Pensacola Bible Institute, and they sit there for three years, and then they go back to their home church that sent them away, Six states away so that they could learn the Bible. That stuff, that, that doesn't make sense to me. But anyways, they send them down to Florida so that they can learn the Bible. And it's not just PBI, it's many schools. And then when these guys go back to their home church, they get back to their home church with a head full of knowledge and they tear their church apart because nobody's as smart as I am because I've been to Bible school. Yeah. I know everything now. It's like a little teenager. Huh? How many of you remember being teenagers? You got to the place to where mom and daddy didn't know what they were talking about. That that hit that didn't hit me in my teenage years. That hit me in my twenties. Yes, sir. I, I was. I guess I was a late bloomer. Get to the place to where mom and daddy tells you to do something, and who they think they are. Never say anything out with your mouth because you got better sense because you didn't want to have dentures at such a young age, but. It's the attitude. And so you get some little punk that's been to Bible school and he comes and sits in a church and everything that the preacher says that he doesn't think is right because he was taught by the man who knows everything. You know, Dr. Uckman's the fourth member of the Trinity. And I like Dr. Uckman. I love I don't agree with him about everything, but I love him. I've got several of his commentaries. I read after him. He was a soul winner. He was a good man. He was not perfect. He was not infallible, but I love him. But You know, I've sat under Dr. Ruckman, the fourth member of the Trinity, and so I know everything, and nobody's going to teach me anything, and so the only thing that's left for me to do is go start my own church. That's danger, 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 Will Robinson. That's right, that's right. That's a fella that probably, uh, no doubt, he needs to and learn to sit down. Well, You've got this disagreement. You've got this argument. You've got this thing going on here in the book of Acts chapter 15, verse 2. Now look at verse 3. It says, and being brought on their way by the church. Uh, I got on all that, but let me make my point and then we'll move on. Where they go to get the answers is not in their own little ministry. It's not in their own little living room. It's not at home. They don't have home church to get answers. Nobody's as... They don't sit at home and say, nobody's as spiritual as us, so we're going to sit in the privacy of our own little home and have church with wife and the kids. That's not a church. That's not a church. A church has a pastor, and a church has deacons. I know a lot of pastors that are scared of deacons. A church has deacons. It has deacons. No need to be afraid of deacons if you get the right fellas in there. There's no, there's no need to be afraid of deacons if you're not afraid to lead. I think that's what's going on with a lot of pastors that's scared of deacons. Deacons never give me anything but trouble. I think you either are afraid to lead or you don't know how to work with people. <laughs> Some people just not people persons. If you're not a people person, I don't recommend being a preacher. That's true. Oh, they go to the church to get answers. Okay, verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Well, we got this question in our mind, but we're going to have a good time while we're going home to figure it out. (laughs) I have a good attitude about it. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church. They're in good standing. They're received of the church. They're in good standing with the church. And of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done to them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. So these are guys that are saved, but they're still holding on to this works mentality, uh, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Hey, this is what they're saying. Is it true or not? Now it's a question, it's a doctrinal question. Is it not? Look at what happens. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them men and brethren, You know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them." And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood for Moses of old time. Moses is part of the old time way. He got old time religion. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him preaching being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Now verse 22, look at what it says. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the what? The whole church. The whole church. So here's a question that's come up. And the apostles and the elders have come together to deliberate and they get some direction. We'll we'll deal with some of that here in just a second. I want to go into some details about that thing. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it's not just the apostles and elders saying, this is what we're going to do. The apostles and elders said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And the whole church looked at it and said, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah. That almost seems like a miracle. Yeah. Does it not? Does it not? Brother Tommy, how can you get, I don't know how many people are in here. I'm going to take a stab in the dark and I'm going to say maybe 40, 45 people, something like that. How could you get a room full of 45 people to agree about one thing? That's a challenge. How How many of you are married? How often do you disagree with your spouse? Case closed. I don't need to say anything else. You can't even agree with one person. How do you get a room full of 45 people to agree on one thing? It's possible. It can be done. You say, Brother Nathan, you're preaching something that's idealistic. Yes, I am, but I'm also preaching something that's a possibility if you want it. I, listen, I'm not just preaching to individuals, I'm preaching to the whole church tonight. I'm preaching to you as a church. If you want that ability to come in here and be in a state of unity and to agree about what we do. See, the reason The reason that that kind of stuff does not go on in the average church is because it's not set as the expectation from the pulpit. Well listen, I'm not just trying to set it as the expectation from the pulpit. I'm telling you that is the way that the church operated in its infancy if we're full if if the church if the church was in its infancy in acts fifteen, the church is not a baby anymore is it it's a full grown individual i mean two thousand years old that's an old individual yeah. you think we should have. More unity or less? I mean, if we're going in the direction of maturity, should we have more unity or less? We should have more, should we not? Yeah. Then why are we not there? Why is it that when you go sit in a church, why is it that when you go sit in a church, you try to make a decision about something, and it's not just administrative things anymore. It's doctrine. It's doctrine. It's doctrine. It's doctrine. You sit in a church and try to make a decision about something and the whole church nearly splits over it. Not just half and half, about five different ways. Are we going to buy a bus? Are we going to buy a van? How much money are we going to spend on the vehicle? How much are we going to do this? I mean, where's this money going to go? Well, you know, before we make any decisions, we've got to get the such-and-such committee, and, you know, we've got to take a motion, and, you know, if we can get two motions, then we'll take a vote. Did you see any of that in Acts 15 so far? Okay, I'm 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 going to challenge you to do something. Go home and read the whole book of Acts and tell me where they voted. Tell me. Show me. And I mean that. I mean that, Brother Michael. If you can go home and show me where they voted in the book of Acts... I'll get up and apologize for this sermon that I'm preaching. You said, Brother Nathan, don't you think people in a church ought to have input on how a church is operated? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You should have some input on how this church is operated. I pointed him out. I didn't mean to embarrass you. <laughs> hey, you should have some input on how this church is operated. Hey, now listen, if you, if, you, if you lost, you don't have no input. But do you see the challenge in what I just said, Brother Curtis? How do you know who is and who isn't? Hmm? Here's old Brother Michael. Brother Michael looks like a fine upstanding, and I'm not saying he's lost, but he looks like a fine upstanding Christian, wears a suit and tie to church every day. Every, every, day, every time the doors are open at the church, I mean, he looks, looks like he's got his family in order and he's lost as a softball in high weeds. And so the preacher goes to him and every decision that the preacher gets to, has to make, he goes to Brother Michael because Brother Michael puts in, you know, a good chunk of change in the offering plate. There's a better way. There's a better way. Listen, when you get into a situation like that, you're not running a church, you're running a business. And listen, let me, let me make no, no qualms about it. This is not a business this, this cannot be a business. Do you know what the purpose of a business is? It's to make money. It's to make profit. It's to put money in the bank so the owner of the business can go and blow it on whatever he wants to blow it on. Or save it or give it to his kids or his grandkids. What it, it's for him to make money so he can do what he wants. That's the purpose of a business. That is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And those people that have trusted Christ, it's to see them well-rooted and grounded in the faith. Church is not all that fun. It's not intended to be fun. It's intended to be an institute of learning so you can get closer to the Lord. Well, I just find that a little boring. Well, you have bad expectations. Bring them into line with what the Bible says the church is for. It's the pillar and ground of entertainment. Is that what it says? No, it's the pillar and ground of the truth. Yeah. That's what we're here for. That's what we want to know. I hope it's enjoyable. I hope maybe every once in a while I can tell a joke that you laugh at, but that's not what we're here for. That's not what we're here for at all. Yes, sir. So how do we how do we get some answers? Well, the answers are found. The answers are found not in Acts chapter 15. The that's not where the answers are are begun to be found See the church is is a wild thing Acts 15 here comes up this question and how do we get this question answered? Okay, people's baptist church. It may have 16 different answers or questions that have to be answered Well, how do we get how do we get the answers that we need to all the questions that we have whatever they may be? Well, the answers are not first found For this issue that's come up in the book of Acts chapter 15, for this issue that's come up, the answers are not first found in Acts 15. There's a method in Acts 15, but there's something else that took place long before Acts 15 that helped put the church in the position to where it could get the answers that it needed. Look in Acts chapter 1. Let me show them to you. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And hold your place in Acts 15, because we'll be back. And so, Acts 15, and then get uh, Acts chapter 1, and then you'll also want to get Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at one verse in Luke 24. Acts chapter 15, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24. Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, I'll give you a second, I still see some pages turning. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now listen, the church is about Jesus, is it not? Okay, so one thing that we can say, this is not really a point that I have, but I'm here, might as well make the point. Uh, One thing that we can say is one of the ways that we can determine whether an action, a decision is a good decision. We're talking about a church has to make a decision. How do we know that we're making the right decision? Well, one of the principles, one of the things that we can operate by is does it detract from the image of Jesus Christ as portrayed in the Bible? You said, Brother Nathan, that's a lot of words. I'm not really sure what you mean. Okay, let me give you an illustration. Here's a a mother and a daddy, and they got a little girl or they got a son. I say a little girl. They got a son or a daughter who's getting ready to get married. And they come to the preacher, and they say, hey, we'd like to use the church for the wedding ceremony. Can we do that? And the preacher says, sure. Well, we also want to use the fellowship hall for a reception. The preacher says, sure. And, oh, by the way, we're going to have liquor at the reception. And so the preacher, if he's got any sense about him at all, he says, "Over my dead body." Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, that's their that's their wedding. It is their wedding, but this is God's house. Yeah, right. yeah. This is God's church. Yeah. You say this is just a building. It's God's building. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't look at this as just a building of brick and mortar. It is that, but it's sanctified. It is set apart. That's why years ago parents didn't let their kids run in the church house. Yeah. Yeah. And many of you don't. And the reason that you don't, whether you realize it or not, is because this is, this is a sanctified place. This is a place that's set apart for something special. This is not treated like McDonald's uh, little playground, their little place that they took down, took down here in Folkestone years ago because everybody was throwing up in it and nobody could clean it. That's why all those things get torn down in case you was wondering. I know all you kids love playing on those things, don't you? I just grieve the Spirit. Stay out of those things. Those things are nasty. Uh, Anyways, you'd be better off going and playing in a cow pasture. (laughs) Go to Brother Curtis's house. He'll he'll turn you loose. Uh, That's not what the church is for. The church is a sanctified thing. Well, you know, it's their wedding, can't they do? Well, but see, what they're going to do is they're going to do something that portrays the fact that the Lord is okay with something that he's not okay with. The Lord is not okay with drinking beer, regardless of what you think. And if you would do something that would sanctify that stuff and condone those things, you're out of your ever-loving mind. You haven't spent much time in your Bible. And if your preacher has blessed that, if your preacher has said that that's okay, I feel sorry for that preacher when he stands at the judgment seat of Christ because God don't like it. But anyways, we'll preach a different sermon on drinking when the Lord leads. But all I'm saying is we can't let somebody come over here into the fellowship hall and use it for a wedding reception or for any other activity if there's going to be beer drinking or cigarette smoking or tobacco chewing or if they're going to have a honky tonk over here. Boy, it really it really grieves my heart. Man, It. You know, and a pastor's got to do what a pastor's got to do. And, you know, I have to cross those bridges when I get there. I can't say what I'm going to do. But, man, it grieves my heart. Boy, it grieves my heart when a couple says, we want to get married in a church. And then in the church house, they have to play a country music song. Boy, it grieves me. Man, it bothers me. You might be okay with it. I'm not okay with it. You say, why? Because this place is holy. You treat it like garbage if you want to, but this place is holy. This is not the most elaborate building in Folkestone, Georgia, but it's a holy place. You say, why? Because our God is holy. Our God is holy. We're a holy people. Yes, sir. And so we can't let that happen. That's why, listen, that's why uh, a while back I got on this thing about, hey, if you chew tobacco if you uh, smoke cigarettes and you've got to do that while you're here, go across the street and do that. You say, why? Because somebody driving by might see you do that and think that God is okay with that stuff. Yeah. And regardless of what you feel like, yeah. the Bible says it's not right. And we don't want as a church to give the impression that God's okay with that stuff. If you got a vice that you're trying to get victory over, do it at your house, and we're going to pray for you. Don't do it at the church. You say, why? We want Jesus to be seen. You say, Brother Nathan, that's going to run people off. They'll have to leave then. That is not God's fault, and it's not my fault. Yes, sir. That's not a preacher being mean. That's the truth. That's not a preacher being hard. That's the truth. Yes, sir. Well, we could elaborate on that a little more, but we won't. We want Jesus to be seen. That's Acts 1, right? Okay, so what we're talking about is how does a church make a decision? Well, does it detract from the image of Jesus Christ as portrayed in the Bible? Hey, the fellows in the church, the fellows in the church should have their hair short. uh, They should have their hair short. I'm going to just hit on everything. Brother Nathan, we've got places to go. Hey, if you've got to go, go. Right, and I, I'm not saying that to be a jerk. If you've got to get up early in the morning you've got to go, go when you got to go. But I'm going to preach until the Lord tells me I'm finished. i do my best to be reasonable about that, but I want to be obedient to the Lord. Listen, the fellows in the church that have their hair short, you say, well, Brother Nathan, what you going to do about a fellow when he wanders in here with long hair? He's welcome to come. He ain't going to do nothing, though. He ain't going to do nothing. You say, why? Amen. Because we don't want the church to put their hand on somebody that's doing something that Jesus doesn't approve of and we don't want it to look like the church approves of something that Jesus disapproves of. Yeah. The church is the body of which Christ is the head. We have no right to approve of something that Jesus disapproves of. Yeah. Amen. And so when somebody's doing something that's not right, we're not gonna run them out. This is, where, this is the place where you get that help. Amen. Believe it or not, this is how you get to help. You get the help by a preacher standing up and saying, hey, that's not right. God's got a better way for you. God wants to give you something better than that long hair. He wants to give you something better than them cigarettes. He wants to give you something better than that booze. Yes, sir, he wants to give you something better, better, better. You're not going to convince people of that so long as you say, Well, I know you drink, but it'd be all right. Would you stand up and lead us in prayer? No, you ain't you can't lead a, a cross-eyed dog into a ditch. Can't lead nothing. The blind lead the blind, shall they not both fall into the ditch? Yes, sir. That's 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 right, and that's true. So we want we want Jesus to be seen. Well, Acts chapter one, look look at else, look at what else he says. Watch it, what he says. He says Uh, verse 6 when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying Lord wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel and he said unto them it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and all the and unto the uttermost part of the earth so here's a church that's witnessing they're telling folks about Jesus I'm just talking to you about what a church is right now. Because the church has got to have some answers in Acts 15. What's a church? A church has got Jesus in the front. It's a church that's telling people about Jesus. Not this lifestyle evangelism stuff. They're opening their mouth. And they're saying, Jesus died for you since. Jesus Christ saves. Jesus saves. Not just Jesus loves you. Boy, that's a very generic way to get around something that's offensive. Jesus saves. Saved from what? Your sin. I don't want to be saved from my sin. Okay, then you're going to die in them, and you're going to pay for them in hellfire. That's an offense. Well, they're, they're folks that are witness. All right, let me let me get moving here a little bit. Now, look at what he says. He says, you're going to receive power, verse 8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses unto me both in Judah, Jerusalem and in Judea and, and, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of of the earth, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up the cloud received them out of sight. Now, what do they do? Where do they go when he's gone? Verse 13. And when they were coming, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. Verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. With the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Mary don't have special privileges. She has to pray too. Mary's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus. Well, isn't Jesus God? Jesus is the name of a man who is God. But it's the name of a man. She's the vessel by which Jesus the man got here. She's not the mother of God. Amen. You tell your Catholic friends what I just said. I don't have any Catholic friends. Amen. Amen. Not because I hate them. It's just because uh, we don't agree. Amen. About important things. But anyways, now you got your Bible open, Luke 24. Look right here in Luke 24 and verse 49. Luke 24 is what you find in Acts 1. Luke 24 verse 49 Acts 1, they're the same thing. Verse 49, look at what he says. And behold, this is before he goes up in heaven, Jesus. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Here's what you got in Acts chapter 1. You got two things. You got prayer and you've got patience. You say, well, Brother Nathan, that don't look like it provides a whole lot of answers to anybody. Oh, but it does. Let me tell you a little story. Let me tell you a little illustration. Brother Tommy came in the church a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I got in here on Wednesday. I don't remember how long ago this was. I got in here on Wednesday. This is really a simple illustration, but I, and I don't like to give illustrations about myself, but this will this will. I think illustrate the thing real well. I got in here on Wednesday and I was praying and I was praying and going along and praying like I usually do, walking around because that's how I've been taught. That's just what I do. And so I was walking around praying about those, praying about the church service Wednesday night and I said, Lord, I said, so what about some of these young fellows getting up here and leading the singing? And I prayed about that for about five or 10 minutes and then just left it it off and forgot all about it. Came into church on Wednesday night and when I got here, I was sitting up here on the platform and I was going through hymns in the red hymnal as a matter of fact and brother Tommy came and sat up here on the on the pew like he always does and he said, "What you got in mind?" I said, "Man, I don't have nothing in mind." I said, I said, "That's all on you, man. You decide what you want to do." He said, "Well, he said, I've been kind of thinking today about maybe getting some of these well, maybe getting some of the young guys to lead the singing." My jaw hit the floor. I said, man, I was just praying about that today. I had forgot all about it. Yep. Now listen, if the Lord could do something simple like that for, for, for an issue that really, it seemed like in the grand scheme of things, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but it didn't seem like it mattered. So, so small, so minute. If the Lord could do something that slight, you think the Lord couldn't get a group of 45 people all on board with one thing that he's trying to do? I have a suspicion. I didn't go around with Brother Tommy that day, but I have a suspicion somewhere on that lawnmower Tommy was throwing up some Nehemiah prayers. Here's Brother Dylan on his knees over here, and here's his snotty-nosed brat sister over here. I'm just kidding. I don't really mean that. Girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice. That's the nicest thing you'll ever hear me say about, boy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you. She's turned red. Uh, but here they are. And here's Brother Nathan back in his office. She's down here on her knees. He's down here. And, boy, they disagree. I mean, they're brothers and sisters. They don't like each other. I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that really. I'm just making an illustration. Here's a preacher back in the back room, and he's praying. They're praying. And I'm not just talking about one little thing. I'm talking about throughout the week. Day to day, getting down on their knees. And I'm not talking about, oh, Lord Jesus, please bless this food. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, uh, my soul to keep, blah, 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 however the rest of that thing goes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some folks that are getting down on their knees throughout the week and really giving some consideration to talking to an eternal God who's listening. Yeah. 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 Right. Amen. Yeah. Making sure their sins are confessed before they approach that God Making sure that, hey, there, hey this God is interested in the things that I'm getting ready to say. This is not just a routine I'm going through. I'm talking to somebody who has the power to change the river courses. I have some, I'm talking to somebody who has the power to turn the, men, to turn the hearts of men, to turn the hearts of men, to turn the hearts of men as he does the rivers of water. That's what Proverbs says. And here they are, they're down on their knees and they're praying. They never agreed about anything in their lives. Huh? Here's a preacher back here in the back room praying. And here's a deacon over here praying. I mean, because deacons are so full of the devil. I mean, they're the curse of God. I mean, a church that would have deacons, man, just needs to shut its doors. Because deacons can't be trusted. They're reprobates. I mean, they're bad people. You talk to a lot of preachers, that's about what they, they, they act like. Get them folks praying. God, what do we do? God, I pray that you'd help old deacon so-and-so. God, I pray you help my sister. God, I pray that you help my goofy brother. And get folks in there to where they praying for one another. And God, help us. And God, direct us. God, help us, Lord, not to be so carnal that we can't get along with each other. And then lo and behold, you come into church on one Wednesday night or on a Sunday night. And a decision pops up. A question pops up. And they look around and say, oh, my soul, what do we do? How do we? You know what you've done throughout the week? You've provided the foundation. By praying, you've provided the foundation for the answers to already be given. Yeah. What they started in Acts 1, they did not stop. In Acts chapter 1, they got into an upper room and they prayed. Yeah. And throughout the book of Acts, you find those fellas time and time again. And Peter came apart and prayed and John got over here and prayed and the apostles got over here and prayed and Paul and Barnabas prayed and they kept praying. What Jesus taught them in Acts 1, they kept doing. The program works. Well, I think we need to just get in here and, you know, we need to have a vote and we need to take up an offering for this and we need to make sure that the committee's okay with this. Hey, I got a better idea. How about we open the Bible and do what God said and let's just pray. Let's just pray. Let's miss some meals over the thing and let's see if God can't get us all on the same page. I believe he can. I believe he can. Listen, I am a reprobate. I am a reprobate and y'all are too. Every single one of you is reprobate but I believe in a God that that can get us all on the same page if yeah. we'll pray. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. You know what else he told him in Acts chapter 1? He said, get up in that upper room and wait. Wait. Don't be in such a rush. Oh, but we got to know right now. Oh, but we got to do it right now. Oh, we got to buy a bus right now. Oh, we got to build a building right now. Oh, we got to do this right now. Oh, we can't wait. No, you can't afford not to wait. You got direction. You got you got sure direction from God. If you don't, you better not move. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Are oh, we going to build this big building? You better not do it unless you can do it by faith. Huh? Are oh, we going to buy this bus? You better not do it unless you can do it by faith. Hmm. I'm not talking about just. I'm not just talking about living in a world of make believe. I'm talking about doing things by faith. I'm talking about knowing that you got a word from God. Okay, I believe this is what God wants us to do. We're going to trust God on this one because I believe this is the leadership of the Lord. This is what we're going to do. You better wait. Brother Nathan, if you wait too long, I've heard preachers say this, if you wait too long, the opportunity is going to pass you by. I'd rather miss out on a good Opportunity a good business deal because I was waiting on God than jump the course, jump the gun, and miss it altogether and get myself in a bind. I'd rather just wait on God. I'd rather wait on God. I'd rather, rather trust God. You know what the problem in a lot of churches is? They're trusting to worldly wise men rather than God-given direction. The supernatural element of the church has been knocked down to nothing. I am not a fan of Charles Stanley. I'm not a fan. I don't listen to Charles Stanley on a regular basis. He's a Southern Baptist preacher. He's not a King James man. You say, oh, I love Charles Stanley. Help yourself. But he died not too long ago. And I'm not bad-mouthing the fella. I just don't care for him. I'm not a Southern Baptist. But he died not too long ago, and they had some of his sermons posted up on YouTube. So I clicked on one of them and listened. And one of them was when he went and took the, the assistant pastor at First Baptist Church in Atlanta where he pastored for something like, I don't know, 500 years or something. He was there for a long time. It wasn't 500 years. Something like 40, 45, I don't know. He's there for a long time. And the pastor that he was under, he didn't really care a whole lot for. That pastor left. And when he left, he took that church and a decision came up about business, about finances or something like that. And there was the deacon board. And you know who was all on the deacon board? Doctors lawyers, and businessmen around the greater Atlanta area. And he said, uh, I got respect for him about this. They said, well, we think we ought to do this and do this. And and Charles Stanley said, said, he said, well, fellas, the Bible says that this is what we need to do. And don't you think we ought to do it this way? The Bible says this right here, and it says this right here. And this is what they told him. They said, this is business. Leave God out of it. That's the first Baptist church of Atlanta. Huh? Of course, they was all dead and washed up, you know, within 10 years or so. I mean, God moved them out of the way, I suppose. I suppose God moved them out of the way. They all moved along and had bigger fish to fry. But that's what's wrong with churches. It's a business. That's not how how churches operate. Churches operate by little blue collar people. Little little peons. Yeah. Who who the big dog preachers look at and say, Oh, they ain't nothing. Yeah. Hmm? They look at it's it's the little people in the church that get out on their knees every morning before they go off to work and say, God, yeah. Lord, I pray that you'd bless my day today. God help me to make right decisions. And God, I pray you'd bless that church. God, I pray you'd save people's souls. God, I pray that you'd help us, God, to have the burden that you have for the church. God, I pray that you'd help us to see things the way that you want us to see them. God, guide us. Lord, we're so stupid, the preacher included. We're so dumb. We don't know what we're doing. God, we're so dependent on the Holy Ghost. We're so dependent on your power. God, if you don't help us, we're going to make a mess out of this church. Help us. Lead us. That's how churches operate well I don't think we should operate that way well there's a Methodist church down here they probably don't operate that way huh I believe God's way works better I believe God's way works better yes sir if you're trying to bring in the money maybe you can sit around and talk to the business fellows and talk to the doctors and talk to the lawyers and talk to the fellows who own half of Folkestone and Charlton County Listen, some of the big names here in this county, if they ever come to this church, I ain't going to ask them one thing about how they think this church ought to be run. Amen. You know who I'm going to ask? I'm going to ask the fellas who I know is praying. Yeah, right. yeah. Hey, this is the decision that we have to make. What you think? Yeah, well, I don't know, preacher. Well, let's pray. Pray for me. Let's pray God give us wisdom. Yeah, but so-and-so's got a lot of money. I mean, they could really put a whole lot of money in the building fund. We could build a new building overnight. I don't want to do that. I don't want their money. Hey, if they'll give, if they'll give that money with no strings attached, I'll take it and I'll, I'll use it. I will use it. But businessmen don't typically put money in the offering plate without strings attached. When somebody comes waving greenbacks, I usually look at that and say, something's up. I say, Brother Nathan, you don't trust people. You're exactly right. I trust Jesus. I trust folks that I've watched for a while and it it looks like they're praying, looks like they're fellowshipping with God. Those are the folks I have confidence in. Let me just take a minute right here and we'll move on. I'm I'm almost finished. Don't, Don't pass out. Some of you folks, man, if somebody comes in here with a lot of money or nice clothes, you get so distracted with what they look like and with the way that they talk and the bunion on their tongue, like Billy Kelly used to say. You get impressed with all that stuff. Would to God you'd spend some time with God in prayer on your knees and be able to see right past all that. That's just an air, that's just a show. Somebody come in here, stand up behind the pulpit. Glory to God. I'm so glad we're saved. God loves you. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And just go through this big rigmarole. And a lot of times all it is is nothing but fluff. There ain't nothing to it but because they threw the name Jesus out there and said 15 hallelujahs, that's exactly what a Roman Catholic does, Brother Chris. A br- Brother Chris, a, a Roman Catholic takes his rosary beads and says, Hail Mary, full of grapes, blessed be the fruit of the loom. Yes, sir, that's what a Catholic does. Baptists do the same thing. Glory to God, hallelujah. God is so good, and people eat that stuff up thinking, oh, they're, they're just so wonderful, they're so smart, they have the touch of God on them. And a lot of those guys, some guys are just dynamic by nature. That's not what I'm talking about. But a lot of that is a put on to get you to think, oh, this guy's the great power of God. This guy is super smart. This guy's really in touch with God. And he ain't spent five minutes in prayer the whole week. The whole week. Yes, sir. That's right. Now go back to Acts 15. Let's see how they solved this question that they had. That's the foundation that's laid. Prayer, patience. Hey, God's got an answer. Are you willing to wait? To know what it is. God's got an answer. Now watch, watch how the actual question gets answered in Acts 15. It's a marvel. It's a marvel. Look right here in verse uh, chapter 15 and look in verse 13. After that, after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. He said, listen to me. Listen to what I'm going to say. Who's James? He's one of the apostles. I understand, but in the context of Acts 15, who is James? Who's this guy getting ready to stand up and say, listen to what I've got to say? Look down at what he says right here in the bottom of the verse, uh, verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is, it's still James talking. Wherefore, my sentence is, this is my judgment. Sentence is what a judge gives. The judge gives you a sentence. That's the guy with the final say, is it not? Well, you're at the mercy of the judge. Well, my sentence is, that's James. Who's this guy? I'll tell you who James is. He's the pastor of that local church. Turn over to Galatians 2 very quickly, very quickly. Look at James, or Galatians, Galatians 2. Don't lose your place in Acts 15. Look in Galatians chapter 2. Peter is going down to Antioch to meet with Paul and they're getting down there and Peter's a Jew, Paul's a Jew. A lot of these folks down at Antioch are not Jews, they're Gentiles, they got saved and Peter's having trouble with what he learned in Acts chapter 10 that God's dealing with Gentiles now and so what happens is some folks come from the church at Jerusalem down to Antioch where Peter and Paul are and when those fellows from Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem, when they get down there to Antioch, Peter withdraws himself because he don't want to be seen with these Gentile dogs. He's having trouble with what he learned. He's having trouble with the fact that, hey, the Gentiles are saved by grace through faith. But, you know, the passage in Galatians chapter 2 does not say that those folks came from Jerusalem. Look at what it says. Galatians chapter 2 Verse eleven. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I was stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, that's James' church members. They came from James. You say they came from Jerusalem. Both. James, the pastor. Look over here in the book of Acts, chapter twenty-one. So, brother Nathan, I'm kind of bored. Well, I'm sorry. Not really. But anyways, Acts 21, look, look at what he says. Look at what the Bible says. <clears throat> Paul is coming back from his missionary, several of his journeys, his missionary journeys, his evangelistic journeys, you could say. And he comes, he's coming back to Jerusalem because he's going to try to observe a Jewish feast. And that's a study in and of itself. But he's coming back because he's trying to pay alms to his country and all this stuff. And look in verse 16. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one uh, Manassan of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to where? Jerusalem, right? There's a church at Jerusalem. When we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, He's the pastor, and all the elders were present, and when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. Now, you go on and you read in Acts chapter 21, and James comes to Paul, and he says, listen, there's these bunch of Jews, they gathered around, and they think that you're throwing Moses' law in the trash can. He said, you need to shave your head. There's some fellows that are taking a vow. He said, you need to shave your head and take a vow. It's a Jewish thing. He said, so that all these Jews know that you're not fighting against the law of Moses, but so that you can be a good testimony to all these people. James is the pastor of whom Paul is submitted to. You know what Paul does? He shaves his head and he takes that vow. James is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. James is Paul's pastor. Oh, Paul, he's so wonderful. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He is wonderful, but he's got a pastor. And it's James. Acts 15, James stands up. Now, here's here's the way it goes. Let me abbreviate this to you, and we'll try and get out of here, all right? In the the book of Acts chapter 15, here's this question that comes up. Paul and Barnabas go down to the church at Jerusalem. This is the church that, since Acts chapter 1, they've been praying. And they pray, and they pray, and they, they don't hold business meetings. They pray. And they show up, Paul and Barnabas show up to the church at Jerusalem, and when they get there, lo and behold, old Peter's there. Paul and Barnabas is there, and the elders, there's more elders there. There's the rest of the apostles, all the ones that are still remaining. Some of them have been killed at this time. James, uh, the brother of John, he's been beheaded by Herod. I think that was Acts chapter 12. So some of them's dead, but all of them that's remaining, they're all standing around. And Peter stands up and he says, hey, this question, he stands up and he says, you remember Acts chapter 10? Acts chapter 10 didn't have the chapter markings at the time, but he said, you remember Cornelius? And he goes through and he talks about all that thing and he says, this is what God's done. So Peter's given a testimony. The Holy Ghost gives a testimony. You say, how's that? Well, Cornelius speaks in tongues. Look back in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, look in verse 8. He said, in God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness. Bear witness of what? That God's dealing with the Gentiles. Bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So here you got Peter standing up, giving a testimony. The Holy Ghost has borne them witness because they speak in tongues, these Cornel- this Cornelius and all his house does. Now look at who else uh, stands up and talks. Verse 12, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. So Barnabas and Paul stand up and they say the same exact thing that Cornelius or Peter says about Cornelius. Peter says, God's dealing with the Gentiles. Look at Cornelius. Paul and Barnabas stand up and say, God's of a surety dealing with the Gentiles without the works of the law, without circumcision. He's dealing with the Gentiles. And they say, look at all these places where we've gone and all these people have believed and they've received the Holy Ghost. Look at what God's doing. And then James listens to all this stuff. All the whole church is around listening to all this stuff. And James stands up and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Somebody's got to make the final call, don't they? Listen, what we're talking about tonight, I know it's long. Give me just a couple minutes and I'll cut you loose. What we're talking about is how does the church get answers? Well, here's how they get answers. The church has been praying. The church has been praying. The church has been laboring. The church has been witnessing. The church has been winning people to Christ. They've been telling people about, oh, Brother Nathan, we're kind of wondering about what we should do in this particular issue. You've been praying? You've been witnessing? Maybe a lot of times the reason that a church gets at a standstill as far as not knowing what to do is because they've not been involved in the gospel process. really wonder why we're so stagnant. I wonder why. I wonder what we got to do to get busy. I wonder what we got to do to go forward. You've been praying? You've been witnessing? That's what the church has been doing. Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 15. James stands up and says, here's what we're going to do. Somebody has to make the final call. And that was the pastor. He stood up and he said, this is what we're going to do. And when he does it, it's off the cuff. Brother Chris, it's off the cuff. He didn't go back and sit in his office and say, let me think about this for three weeks. He stands up right in the middle of the assembly while all this stuff is going on and he throws it right off the cuff. Don't you think you should be praying about it? Hey man, he'd been praying for 14 chapters ahead of time. You know why a lot of folks get into a situation and they don't have answers? It's because they don't have a history of 14 chapters where they've already been praying about things. You know what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2? I believe it's Philippians chapter 2. He goes through there and he talks about how Jesus Christ took on him, the form of a man God took on him, the form of a man, that's Jesus Christ. And he goes down in there and the conclusion of that argument in Philippians 2 is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not the salvation of your soul. That's the salvation of your circumstances. What Paul's saying in Philippians 2 is, do right. Ahead of time. And you doing right ahead of time, that'll put you into the position when you get into a jam, you've got answers. James stands up in the assembly and he says, this is my judgment. This is my sentence. And listen, when he does it, when he does it, it's not just James that looks at it and says, yeah, that's a good decision. And it's not just Peter and it's not just Paul and Barnabas that look at it and say, yeah, that's a good decision. The whole church looks at it. The whole church. Because the whole church has been praying. From Acts 1 to Acts 15, the whole church has been praying. And they look at it and say, that's a good decision. We're with you. I wonder why my preacher made such a stupid decision. You've been praying? Hey, maybe the reason the preacher ain't got good judgment is because you ain't been doing what you're supposed to be doing. Could be he ain't been doing what he's supposed to be doing. But it could be because you're not participating. Quit being a spectator in church. Get involved. Oh, yeah, we're going to get involved. What are we voting on? Nothing. That's the wrong involvement. Pray. Pray. What do we pray about? What do you not need to pray about? Lord, I didn't like the color suit Brother Nathan was wearing Wednesday night. Pray! Pray! I mean, if that's all you can think about praying for, pray! i tell you this, there's a lot of missionaries on the field that need to be prayed for. Hey, there's folks right in here that's dealing with financial trouble. There's people dealing with physical problems. There's people dealing with mental problems. We got some mental retards hanging around here. Don't you reckon you could Pray. When a trouble comes up, lo and behold, man, a preacher stands up and says, I believe this is what we're going to do. And the church says, yeah, that's right. We're with you. It works. It works. And you know what you don't find in Acts 15? A church split. You just announce that there's going to be a business meeting in an independent Baptist church or in a southern Baptist church. Just announce, we're going to have a business meeting. And 90% of the folks will lay out. Why? Because they don't want to see a boxing match. You say, Brother Nathan, that doesn't happen. It happens more often than you'd like to think. You know why? Because most of the people that are coming to the business meeting to have their say haven't spent five minutes in prayer in the last three years, and they couldn't care less about that stuff because they're so carnal. The only thing they're worried about is, does the church have a van that I'm able to use? Is the church going to put in the color chairs that I'd like to have? Yeah. Yeah. There's people dying all over Charlton County. They're doping their brains out. They're drinking their liver down. They're li- drink, I was going to say out their gizzard. <laughs> uh, they're killing themselves. Yeah. And all somebody can think about in an independent Baptist church is, I don't like the color of that carpet. You're messed up. Yeah. yeah. No wonder you don't have any answers. No wonder your church isn't going anywhere. Your church is broke. It's broken. You say, why? Because people not praying. People not praying. How do, we, how do we get the answers? You pray. You pray. You pray ahead of time. Don't wait for the crisis to come. Pray today. Get involved. You involved with the church? I don't know of anybody in here that's not a member of People's Baptist Church maybe maybe some i don't know but uh, because we don't really keep track of that stuff too much i don't like how disorganized this church is man you ain't seen nothing yet Amen. hang around <clears throat> i believe god can make a church operate better than any man can with his organizational and administrative capabilities yeah. Yes, sir. I believe a church can roll. It's going to roll through the power of God. And if it don't run that way, it won't run at all. Father, help us tonight. God, I know it's been long. God, pray you bless your people. God, for the attention span, Lord, that they've given tonight. And God, I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, to do, Lord, exactly what we need to do, God, as far as the church is concerned. I pray you help us not to get distracted, Lord, with menial things. God, with trivial things. But, Lord, truly, God, folks can have a say But Lord, the place where they have a say is down on their knees, God, Lord, and it's with you. And, Lord, I believe, God, if folks genuinely see a trouble, Lord, if they see a problem that a pastor is getting ready to make, if a pastor is getting ready to make a bad decision, Lord, I believe people, Lord, can have a say on their knees. And I believe that you're able to deal with a pastor. You're able to deal with deacons. You're able to deal with the membership of the church and turn their hearts in the direction that it needs to be. God, I believe you're that gracious. I believe you're that powerful. And God, Lord, I believe, Lord, that's the program that you laid out in the book of Acts. God, help us to believe it. Lord, help us to believe it and apply it. God, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, some folks that come tonight, I'll give you an opportunity to respond. If God spoke to you, why don't you do business with the Lord? I don't know what the Lord would talk to you about, but I know this. I know this. Your say is on your knees. And listen, if you'd rather jump up and say something to somebody. Without praying about it, you're out of line. You're out of line. Why don't you pray about things? Why don't you pray about things? Get involved in people's. Get involved with People's Baptist Church and pray. Dedicate yourself to praying for the church. Praying that God will do something around here. He will. He will. Amen.